Well, you can talk about films with a philosopher's zeal, or measure them all by box office appeal. But for once in your life, be real. Welcome, one and all, to Be Real, guys. It's your movie-reviewing and reappraising podcast live from Portland, Oregon in the Hollywood District. I mean, that's, that's to say taped. Right. <laughs> My name is Chance Solon Pfeiffer. And I'm Noah Ballard. And we are together. Oh, we, are, we couldn't be. We or, could be like maybe feet closer, but we couldn't be much closer than that. It's it's not quite like this last summer when we recorded live from your bed. Oh, live from like a hot snuggle? That but was great. We are on uh, matching couches in my living room. And so. uh, ladies and gentlemen, they are two of the, I'm sorry, Sarah, ugliest couches I've I've ever seen. But super comfortable. Yep. We're together. Yeah, we're in Portland. And we're in Chance's apartment. And when we're together, we like to do a category that's in our wheelhouse. Oh, yeah. This past summer when we were together, we did shark movies. Deep deep in our wheelhouse but today we have gathered to really just drive one point home it, it, it's get off my plan yeah we have a doc in which we keep a google doc in which we keep uh ideas for genre categories and we started out with i think 40 most of no is very good at coming up with these he's contributed most of them nothing and, i love doing better midday and get off my plane has been one that's been on there since the podcast started and every time we sort of talked about it we've been like that might be a little too easy why don't we save it for the right time and, right and right now is that time oh absolutely so they're yeah they're all movies focused on there's a flight that like one person's on there's and, an evil that's infiltrated the plane. And, and evil inf- infiltrates that plane, and then like the, the first entity has to kick off the second entity, usually with a line somewhat resembling, get off my plane. Yeah. Uh, terrorists of the extremist political sort, the extremist religious sort, the reptilian extremist sort. Well, that one's more like it's mafia, but it's mafia by proxy because it's snakes. So let's get after naming these, shall we? Sure. Snakes on a plane is Snakes where we're going to start. Snakes on a plane, that's where we'll start, yeah. We're just turning 10 this year. And then it'll be on to Air Force One, and then it will be on to Executive Decision. What a great movie. Terrible title, though. We'll discuss that when we get there. Yeah. Um, Snakes on a plane. Yeah. It's 2006? Tur- yeah, turned 10 this year. A movie I think we talked about, a lot of people our age had an experience with this movie. Like, if you were into movies, if you were a person who liked to poke fun at things, if you were a snarky person, this movie was like a tailor-made bad good movie that people kind of got into. Well, it was the first real movie that people sort of, like, um, crowdsourced sort of in its marketing like a proto Sharknado kind of. Yeah, I mean, it has the conceit of like being ridiculous, but I think the the internet in this case, like there were so many forums about it, and there was such a buzz in the sort of like cinephile yet like internet literary community about this movie. Like mm-hmm. once the title was released, and like Samuel L. Jackson came aboard, yeah, you know, there were like people were obsessed. I think in a certain subset 
about this movie. I know I was because I remember like going to the theater and people were dressed like one like in the group. One person would be dressed like a plane and then there'd be like <laughs> six other guys who were dressed as snakes and they were just like chilling in this theater. And there weren't that many people in the theater, though. Maybe that's when I sort of knew that this movie might be bad. Yeah. Because when I saw it, it was like maybe a half sold out theater, like midnight showing kind of thing that kind of backfired maybe on some major um, exhibitors in this country. But then I remember seeing it and being like really disappointed. So let's, Chance, give us the uh, synopsis. So the synopsis is that a young, freewheeling off-road motorcyclist in Hawaii. It's just chilling by himself. Some very nice, we noted, helicopter shots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, over the Hawaiian Islands uh, on the, as he's just kind of getting deeper and deeper into the volcanic wilderness. Uh, pulls up to stop, and a man falls off a bridge with like his, his foot tied to a rope, tells the kid to run. The kid hides in the bush, um, and like a, a Korean-American gangster... Eddie Kim. Eddie Kim. I don't know if his we don't know his ethnic his, background was ever an Asian detailed. American gangster. Yeah. Uh, the, turns out the man who's suspended from the bridge is a, a prosecutor against this uh, modern mafioso. Uh, a, a Paul Vitti, if you will. Yeah, Paul Vitti type. Surprisingly ubiquitous, Eddie Kim. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Everyone seems to know throughout this movie like who this guy is. Oh yeah. If know? anyone mentions him, it's uh, he's just he's completely ubiquitous. Yeah. He's a household name. Uh, in or- yeah, in organized and in household gangster fashion, yeah, he's like killing someone who's prosecuting him, and then the kid like jumps out of the bushes a couple seconds too early, and they're like, "Get that kid!" But they don't really see who he is. They chase him all the way back to his apartment, where he's saved by Samuel L. Jackson, who's an FBI agent. Uh, Sam Jackson convinces him very quickly, "You have to come back to L.A. and testify against Eddie Kim because you've seen him commit murder uh, right. in cold daylight." Um, and Eddie Kim's only play, I guess, sending no people on yeah. the plane, but a giant crate of snakes. Uh, right. So, th- yeah, that's his, what he's going to do. To kill this witness from testifying against him, he just puts all these bloodthirsty snakes on this plane, hoping that enough mayhem will ensue that the plane will go down. And the only sort of bit of, uh, like, cyan... Or- like pseudoscientific realism is right. the idea that they've packed these snakes in with a bunch of lays right. uh, that have been uh, filled full of pheromones to make the snakes insanely aggressive. Right. So Which they then are. Yeah. So if for some reason you're the kind of viewer in 2006 who was just like, snakes wouldn't do that. This movie has <laughs> one hurdle for you to get over where it's just like, right. what about pheromones? And you're like, okay, I'll watch it. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. It's, it expects you to like. It doesn't require you to buy a lot to like no. to board this plane, <laughs> uh, filled with the titular snakes. Right. Um, it's one cheap ticket because no one's sitting in first class. Well, that's the weird thing too. So you get on this plane, and there's not that many people on the plane. First off, we made a list of all like the major characters because, and then we betted on who would. Oh yeah, die. we had a death pool. We had a death death pool. We were pretty far off. Oh, in yeah. this movie's defense, like it's not the most predictable movie in the world. The the snakes are crazed, but they're not that bloodthirsty. No, they're just they like don't eat the people, save one crucial example. Yeah. 
Oh, when little him goes flying out the window. Mm. This, the, all three of these movies have these wonderful scenes of someone, of someone you have like gotten to know in a movie, and they zoom out all the way to show their like little body like <laughs> flying either out a window or like down the fuselage of the plane. Oh and man, that's funny. It's such a weirdly like dehumanizing shot. Oh, absolutely. Just to see, like, how frail the human, like, body is. Like, there it goes. There is this weird thing in Snakes on a Plane, though, where, especially if you're distracted with the idea of a death pool, where it's frustrating because, like, snakes are not, uh, snakes are not sharks. Right. So, like, when somebody gets bitten, like, they're not done. There's no, a whole, it's the whole like, thing is, can we get the anti Like four hours later, they die. Yeah. Which is not a or super... They or they don't. Which is not a super interesting... Well, I think that's my inherent problem with this movie, is like, unlike the other two movies, there's no personality to the snakes. Not they're a just bit. a vehicle. They're just a vehicle for the narrative. And they're just... They don't have a... They're, I mean, they're animals, A, but they're also like animals that have been stripped because of the pheromones of their like complexity as animals. Yeah. So like that's not even interesting, and I feel and they like, don't look like animals because it's all CGI. Oh, it's terrible. They have like a couple of like snake scenes where there's like a close up of a snake like going up a chair or something, but for the most part, the more the more like action shots are so badly CGI'd. Yeah, yeah, but they don't have like you're not like somewhat rooting for the snakes. Oh no! Like I feel like in the t- other two movies, you're like you care like at least what happens to the villains because they're so developed i think and we talked about this already but for me the central problem in this movie is snakes on a plane b movie campy proto sharknado yes 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 designed to be a bad good movie and the problem is that until the snakes start doing their thing it's like a pretty serious movie that's just like doesn't have enough quite enough famous people in it well i mean if you boil it down it's really just like a mid-budget like cop movie the the act the actors are not overacting like in a funny way it's like it's not as as someone in high school we both watched this in high school right right people who like sought out bad movies to make fun of them this movie wanted to be that for you and yet it was like too well or well, Too I think middlingly that's, that's made because it was so like hyped up that people wanted to make it into a serious movie, and I think it got like a bigger budget for marketing or maybe even for post production. Like once this sort of chatter had built about it, mm-hmm. that I feel like maybe the impulse was to make it look because if it had had either the special effects and the production value and had been like inherently a bad movie, akin to Sharknado or like any other sort of B list, like you said, culty disaster movie, right? It could have been like. That could have been one choice, or the plot was so ridiculous, like a Sharknado, that it would have been ridiculous. But it just it, it chooses to be very safe. Yeah, it's a very like safe movie that like knows how much money it has in its bank account, and just does everything it can. But like it doesn't buy into like one crazy like Jaws when the like at the end when the shark grabs him. Like right. that's the big effect that we've all been building to. The movie doesn't have a climax. Right. It's the people get on the plane, the snakes come out, and then they land the plane, essentially. Like, yeah. nothing else happens. Like, they turn the air conditioning back on at one point. The, the storyline on the ground is not that interesting. It's basically just Bobby Cannavale 
looking for the other guy who's not Jack Black who works at High Fidelity's record store. Right. Like, tell him some stuff about snakes <laughs> and then, like, deliver a box of, like, vic- of, of, of anti-venom. You said you remember being disappointed? Yeah. I didn't remember being so disappointed, but I was definitely disappointed this time. Mm-hmm. I think if you have fond memories of this movie from watching it in high school, I wouldn't watch it again. No, certainly not. Um, I mean, I didn't mind it because I like had very low expectations remembering how much I didn't like it the first time, yeah. but I, I got through it okay. Mm-hmm. But it just doesn't have anything going for it. Like the star power of like Samuel L is not enough to drive it forward. And just cause he has that like one line. Enough is enough. I have had it with these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane. Everybody strap in. I'm about to open some fucking windows. It's not enough to like give it that, that thing that it needs. No. Do you want to talk about that line? Sure. Well, we, we talked about that line and comparing it to I have had it with these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane compared to uh, Harrison plane. Ford's Get Off My Plane, the title of this episode, God willing. Or I'll argue that it's Kurt Russell's It's Over. <laughs> That's a much deeper cut. Okay. Uh, but those two lines are so strange in the context of both these movies if you kind of like watch them soberly yeah because like the music comes down oh it just yeah, it's, it's an entirely new shot and it's just like here is the line yeah and it's very weird it's out of place yeah well i think it's it's more out of place in snakes on a plane than it is in air force one yeah like air force one i feel like it's earned and it's like a cool moment but in uh snakes on a plane it just feels like a line that they like put in there for like the trailer's sake. Yeah, I suppose in Air Force One, it's like the the sound editing is the weird part, and oh, in, yeah. in this one, they like light him in differently movie... and start moving the camera. And it's like wow. Yeah. Why wasn't that that wasn't happening before? Nor did you actually get the sense <laughs> that emotionally, psychologically, Sam was reaching a place where he had had it with the snakes on the plane. Right. And it, 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 yes, that's why I don't <laughs> think that line works. And the other thing that that this movie hangs in is whether or not he has sexual chemistry with Juliana Margulies. He doesn't. Who he almost ignores through the maybe first half to three-fifths of the film. Yeah, so I think we're getting to a moment where we could... Say that the movie's bad, bad? Yes. I wanted it to be... Like, I was hoping upon second viewing it would be bad, good. Of course. But that's all it could be. I'm sorry to say that this is not, in fact, a good movie in any way. No. And not one I would recommend. It's on HBO, but... I wouldn't recommend watching it. It's because it's not good. No. Agreed. So shall we move forward? I would love nothing more. To Air Force One? That... Let's let's roll it back a little bit. Let's get into Air Force One. 97. 1997. We should say up front this time, this is on Hulu. It is on Hulu. Yeah. Um... A Wolfgang Peterson film. A Wolfgang Peterson movie. And uh, starring Harrison Ford. As You're goddamn right it does. President Jim Marshall. and War hero. Oh, war hero. Pilot. Pilot, and he's just... Pilot, cough, cough. Right, pilot, sort of. And he's just laid down a pretty serious like policy change for the U.S. after they capture uh, General Raddick, who's like been killing people in russia slash slash kazakhstan yeah 
and they catch him and like he goes to Russia and he's like, we kicked some ass, but we need to do more. Terrorists, it's your turn to be afraid. He yeah. gives what the media then calls the be afraid speech. Yep. And then the action of the movie picks up when they're on the titular Air Force One and Gary Oldman and oh. a band of his goons have killed a Russian news team and have assumed their identities and gotten on board. The president's plane, Air Force One, has been hijacked. What do they want? They want General Raddick released from prison. I will execute the hostage every half an hour. What are our airborne scenarios? There are no airborne scenarios. My husband will not negotiate. His wife, his daughter, I think he'll negotiate. The other sort of twist of this movie is that I think it's the only movie, too, where there's a weird, like, turncoat in play. You know, executive decision sort of posits how you could get onto a plane, and snakes on a plane posits how you could, like, put these snakes on these planes and see what would happen. But this movie, the only thing that it hangs in is... The only way someone could ever hijack Air Force One is if some member of the Secret Service was not loyal. Gotta have an inside man. You have to have an inside. Like, that. that's the ace up your sleeve. Yeah. yeah. But I like how it's not a handbook otherwise of, like, how to kidnap our president. Right. right. This is true. Um, yeah. And I think that Air Force One... The cool part of Air Force One is you do have the the walkthrough of the plane and what like an incredible and you know the reputation of air force one no one knows exactly what goes on there but you have the tour you see what like kind of an incredible impenetrable space this is um and then the bloodshed begins yeah and it is bloodshed you mentioned body counts up front the big thing in air force one is you feel how scary this is because like some people who you uh, care about from like their their little introduction yeah. are killed. A lot of people are killed in the taking of the plane. It's scary. It's serious. Yeah, this movie's an R. It's a hard R. Yeah, and I think we should go to the villain. Then we should go to Oldman and sort of why he is um, allowed to be so. His radicalism is established with his violence. Well, and then his performance is kind of violent. Oh, definitely. Um, well, that's the thing about him. Like, so the snakes on one hand, they're only on like menace all the time. Right. Gary Oldman, and we'll talk about David Suchet with Executive Decision, but Oldman goes for like closer to the snakes, I would argue, than what David Suchet brings to the role, which is like very little violence. Yes, I think Oldman like thinks his performance is subtle because he's mostly quiet. Right. But then he just screams. Right. He has five like, or ten he's got two modes. It's like quiet. It's like quiet, but like still like, you know, there's like a lot of kinetic manic energy behind yeah. him. And then expressing all that like kinetic manic energy in like very elaborate, but like also very, he goes from zero to 10. Yeah. He doesn't like range at all. How good is Oldman at, um, his grandstanding, his political grandstanding when he does it. Well, that's the thing, too, is I think his performance hangs on the script being, like, a little bit better. Yeah. Like, he doesn't really have any reason that he's on the plane. Like, he wants Raddick to be released, and he's, like, has two small children and, like, really believes in communism. Yeah. Like, he really, he doesn't have, like, he lost somebody and, like, that pissed him off. You know, he doesn't have any, like, real trauma that's led to this moment. 
And I almost wonder if that, when you have like a sort of terrorist like this, I'm thinking more like Die Hard 3 at this point, but <laughs> like someone who has like some revenge they want to exact. I think it's very of the time in the sense that the Russian premiere is characterized as being Harrison Ford's lapdog. He's very much a Boris Yeltsin oh, proxy. Death. Yeah. And so I wonder if in 97, the idea of a post-Soviet radicalist who was just like, these people are just like gangsters. <laughs> who we, and this is like me speaking at Oldman volume. Um, like these, these gangsters are like horrible to the ideology that we've had for the last 60, 70 years. Sure. Um, but there's so, so I'm, I'm wondering if the lack of explaining made more sense in 1997 than it does now. I don't know. I think he still needs to have something personally vested right. in this enterprise. He has his, we're not so very different, you and I, kind of speech to the daughter. The daughter. Where he's like, your father and I are both killers. And but the he daughter just like tells him to suck his own dick. <laughs> like it's... <laughs> like yeah, the daughter great. doesn't uh, buy his like sort of... Uh, weirdly nuanced uh, thing about American exceptionalism. Right. Because she's 12 <laughs> she's and he's 12 got a gun old. to his mom's head or mom's yeah. head. And she's like, I think you, my father's a great man and right. you're, you're just a piece of shit. And anyone watching agrees with the kid. Right. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. Oh my God. But yeah, so they take the plane. For and sure they do. But then, like, they think for a while that the president's not on the plane because, like, the Secret Service or who's left of them push him into the escape pod that pops out of the back of the plane. Mm -hmm. And so for a little while, you're not sure. I mean, you've presumably seen the trailer to this movie before you <laughs> see it, so you know the movie doesn't just end there. Right. Um, the president does not flee. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, this president who's just told the terrorists to be afraid is certainly going to kick all their asses with his bare hands. How about this Ford? The, I th I'm going to argue this is post-Prime Ford. This Twilight Ford, Prime Ford? This Ford is like, he digs deep for this one, but I think he like still has the chops to pull it off. But it's certainly... I mean, he has to be a president. Like, he has to be, like, way over 35, like, to just even be eligible to be the president. Yeah. So it's not like he could have done this as a younger man. So I think it's a weird transition for him. But it also weirdly positioned him as this action star post-Indiana Jones youth that I don't think he can ever, like, do again. This is the thing. And this is so silly, but, like, I love Harrison Ford so much that I was watching it. Uh, so closely he doesn't have a first step anymore like I was thinking watching this movie it's a good thing that none of these terrorists have the sort of contrived martial arts training because when he winds up for his like straight right hand it takes about two seconds to deliver it <laughs> when he kicks the guy in the rib it takes a few seconds before he can do it like he's slow he's an old man there's a lot of force there the last thing to is, go is your power is, is, is that just character or is that like because you'd think they could have told him to like, shorten up his punches. I mean, it's probably like his character's choice. That's giving a lot of credit. Okay, maybe. I think, Ford, I think Ford's kind of old here. And I, I think it's charming. But of course he's old. He's the president. <laughs> he's got to be like 50 years old. It's kind of like realizing your father's not a superhero kind of moment, <laughs> watching him fight these terrorists. But he still has that great moment. He's still a superhero in the sense that he can grow like a third arm. Yeah. But like both of his arms are pinned back from the terrorists. <laughs> you, like the, it's a weird moment of direction. Right. And 
the punch that ultimately gets the terrorist off him seems to come from nowhere. Because right. he had no hands available to no, throw it. Both of his hands are held behind his back, and then he just sort of shuffles and punches him right in the face. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, he does oh have, like, God. those lucky breaks. Oh, and then he, they t- he tells them to shoot a missile at the plane. Oh, that's great. <laughs> just so the guy... Will- so here's maybe the time we should get into our conspiracy theory about this movie. Oh, yeah. So when he gets back on the plane from delivering the speech where he's presumably had a few drinks right that's a good point yeah at the kremlin uh his secretary of defense everyone is just like you just made an off-the-cuff foreign policy change how could you do this without giving us a heads up he's like i did what i did all right now just let me watch the goddamn michigan notre dame game um <laughs> all right mr president <laughs> 1413 michigan wow <laughs> um so he goes in to watch it um, and I didn't really like see him drinking at this point, but there is a point at which he sort of like saunters out of the room where he's watching the game. He has a, I think a, like a bud select in his hand, uh, in a bottle and the way that he's swinging it. Well, a certain amount of time passes. Yes. So they like oh, get watching onto the, the whole plane. Game. Yeah. And then he's sort of like. About an hour passes that I think he does some pretty serious drinking in. And then it sort of picks up where he's watching, maybe like two hours later, the middle of the game, waking up from a nap. Well, this is the thing, which you don't see. You don't see any of it. Right. And then he gets up, has like this weird conversation with his wife that's like not that sober right he's just a little too loose in the way he's kind of like fumbling over like this the skinny neck at the top of the bottle and we were and we were both like i think he's drunk (laughs) so the theory goes that he's throughout the whole film like completely wasted right and that all of his sort of like luck and aggression as the plane is being taken over and he doesn't know it is because he's had like 12 budweiser's well i think it's it like even starts as simply as like the Secret Service guys grab him. He's like, "What? What? My football!" Like he literally says, "My football!" Yeah. As they're like getting him, like he can't even put a coherent sense together. People are dying all around him. They throw him like towards the escape pod, and somewhere in his drunken stupor, he's just like, "I'm fucking staying. <laughs> like I'm not leaving yet." And then he like sort of. Un, like uncouthly like climbs out from wherever he was hiding and proceeds to like use milk to inspire like most of his plans for how he's gonna foil the terrorists at some point he's down in like the cold storage and well, he has a moment where he just like stare he slams a terrorist head through the glass and it, like and, like no, the glass has been shot too so there's this gallon of milk so after he's like foiled this terrorist by having a missile shot at air force one right which he like weirdly like uses code words on this phone he like has. Oh, it's great. And he's like, if you fired a missile, DC, cough, cough, <laughs> at the plane, cough, cough, like this guy would get thrown off his feet and I'm One drunk person. already. So let's do this. Anyway. So the the most fun part of the, the theory uh, is the end, which is that he's gradually sobering up as he's like his he gets more and more daring right. with his violent feats, and that the climactic like get off my plane is like him being like, wait, who are you? <laughs> get off my plane. <laughs> I want yeah. I have sort of furthered the theory that when he says get off my plane, 
he has no idea who Gary Oldman is at all. <laughs> right. And it's just like, I don't like you. Like, you're doing mean things to my friends. Like, get off my plane. You're not on my staff. <laughs> yeah, get off my plane. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, Which makes the movie, like, a little bit more enjoyable to watch. Definitely more enjoyable to watch. Yeah. Um, I'm not even sure right now as I ask this. Is this movie good, good? I think that, like, and you have a lot of, like, really good characters here. You have Glenn Close, too. Oh, and that's the other Huge thing, too. credit for that aside. So, and that's, that's what I liked about this movie that I didn't like about uh, Snakes on a Plane is that it has a good ground story. Yeah. It's, so, like, watching, like, the politics of how they're handling the situation and then, like, are they going to release Raddick, who's played by the... Um, uh, submarine captain from Das Boot, another Wolfgang Peterson film. Right, you are his first. Um, yeah, so there's like it's interesting story, and like the plane isn't the whole thing. Right, because that's also one of the things we talked about going into this genre too. It's like it's hard to shoot a movie like predominantly on a plane. It's a small thing, and so I feel like in terms of artful using of the plane. This is probably the best, right? Yes, but it's not a normal plane. Right. They can be inventive. They which can they be inventive. Which they definitely use to their advantage. Absolutely. And, like, the plane looks a little bit bigger than maybe it For should sure. be on the inside. A lot more evasive. Right. I think it might be good good. You think so? I think it's, like, it's solid for what it sets out to do. Like, I think we've picked on it enough in, like, the fact that Gary Oldman's definitely going for something that's not there. Right. Um... But Harrison Ford, like, but I think that's that creates interesting drama, though, having these two actors, like one who's just trying to prove that he can still be an action star and the other one trying to win a Best Supporting Actor, sort of like going at it. Yeah, that's true. And ultimately, like, Harrison Ford wins and everyone's satisfied and, like, you haven't seen anything horrible and... I don't know. I think it's good, good for what, it's tr- what it sets out to do. I think it's well made, at least of the three... It's the best made, I think. Unfortunately, I called Get Off My Plane the climax. There's a half an hour after that with some pretty unexciting introduction of some MiGs. There is the crucial security guard betrayal never explaining why he betrayed the president. Right. Um, The movie definitely goes way downhill once Gary Oldman's dead. They they really should have hung on to that. Yeah, they maybe could have drawn it out like like the actual meat of the movie a little bit more like up front they could have gotten rid of the how are we going to land this thing and then there's like all the drama with like the people on the wire going back and forth and the really bad cgi at the end that almost i think that almost ruins it you know what i'm gonna say it's kind of bad good no 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 no. where are you going where are you going i i absolutely think it's super entertaining i think the the last half hour is is kind of... You think it ruins it? I think it, like, sinks it to a different level. And, and because, I don't know, it's such a really loud, like, kind of bashing experience, too, <laughs> that I think... But it's definitely better sound mixed than... Uh, than executive decision. Right. I think when you're... I think it's entertaining as you're doing it, but even when you're done, even for a movie that made $175 million domestically, I was kind of like... I was like trying to shake it yeah. off. So I think like in the quiet after the movie, you're there's nothing for you to like do intellectually or to savor aesthetically. I think it might be bad good. Okay. I'm sorry to say so. I don't agree. I think there's a certain art to it. Um, 
I don't think Wolfgang Peterson has any good, good movies besides In the Line of Fire and Dust Boat. In the Perfect Storm. Which I said was bad, bad. I'm on the record. Twice now. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect Storm is a wonderful film. It is not. All right, the final installment in the Get Off My Plane trio is 1996's Executive Decision, a movie I was so proud to watch on a used DVD that you brought with you from Brooklyn. Um, it is a movie directed by Stuart Baird, his debut, yes? The his editor debut. of Lethal Weapon. <laughs> well, can I read you the back of the DVD box here? It's, it's incredible the tack they take to try to like get you to watch this movie. It's pretty hysterical. Go ahead. Looking for excitement? You've made the right... <laughs> You've made the right capital D italicized decision. <laughs> Producer Joel Silver adds to his string of hits, and Stuart Baird, editor of Silver's Lethal Weapon and other action spectaculars, makes a memorable directorial debut on a movie, quote, faster than speed and more fun than broken arrows, said Alan Barra of Newhouse Newspapers. This movie is not better paced than speed. Right. Not but, even close. And it's, and broken arrows, is terrible. So that's a pretty low bar. <laughs> Kurt Russell, Steven Seagal, Halle Berry, John Leguizamo, and about a million other people uh, in a heroic ensemble are on board for first-class thrills. The mission? Board a hijacked 747 in midair. Avoid detection. Locate and disable a hair-triggered nerve toxin bomb that could wipe out the U.S. Eastern Seaboard. Execute a split-second attack that overwhelms the terrorists and safeguards the passengers. Do it all without air-to-ground radio, and do it before the, an increasingly jittery U.S. military blasts the airliner out of the sky. I hope there's a good movie on this flight, an anti-terrorist operative quips. As it turns out, there's a great one, colon, executive decision. <laughs> That's incredible. Oh, man. It's ba- weird. Like, the- back when, like, movies wrote their own Richard Roper reviews of themselves. <laughs> Yeah, it's like this weird, like, copy that, like, makes you believe that, like, anyone gave a shit what, like, Stuart Baird did next. <laughs> like, people were sitting at home being like, you know who's an editor who I think they should give a shot as, like, a director? It's yeah. the one who did Lethal Weapon. Or that Joel Silver was, like, a deeply creative person and right. not just, like, a Hollywood player with some, like, money behind him. Well, he was, like, the big guy in action movies in, like, the 80s and 90s, yeah. so... But do you think people like had name recognition recognition for him? He's not like a Jerry Bruckheimer or something. Or oh God, no! Like a J.J. Abrams. No. no. Joel Silver adds to his string of hits, <laughs> and I believe which this movie was not really that much of a no. hit. I think we decided we saw it made fifty million dollars, which is not in 1996 is not inconsequential. Right. But it's, I would not call that a hit. No, I think it's a successful film. It's like a successful mid-list film. And it probably, like, in its defense, as we were discussing, too, like, had a second life in video rental and probably had a second life on cable networking right. stuff. Because, like, I've seen this movie, like, a bazillion times on TNT in USA. Yeah. Well, sir, I don't think this is about hostages. What are you talking about? A shipment of the nerve toxin DZ-5 was hijacked. Are you saying nerve gas is on board? Yes, sir, I am. <laughs> They plan to use the DZ-5 and the airplane together to detonate here over Washington. Let's talk about this movie, uh, you know, speaking of uh, the much-heralded debut of Stuart Baird. <laughs> uh, the, the look of this movie as compared to... I mean, I think that Wolfgang Peterson 
jumps a lot of plot holes, does a lot of silly shit in his movies, right. makes a lot of silly choices. But he is a he is on the forefront of modern action directors. At in, this time, yes. Yes. I think he well, yeah, right. Um, I think he like pioneered like along with maybe like John McTiernan, like the nineties action movie. Right. I would agree with that. And maybe like a Tony Scott kind of thing. So what's your point here? My point is coming off watching Wolfgang Peterson do air force one. Right. This movie feels very old and I don't necessarily, and even though it's one year before, I don't necessarily mean that as an insult. Cause, uh, as we talked about, I think there was some ambitious CGI attempts in Air Force One that ended up looking horrible. I think this movie has some good uh, uh, modeling work that ends up looking pretty good. But there are no shots of, like, people moving in this. Like, the camera doesn't move with people. There are no visual flourishes of any kind. It's just kind of, like, shot, cut, stationary shot, cut. Yeah, and, like, the most... Well, that's the thing, too. Like, when it's on the ground, it's a little bit more ambitious. Like, when Kurt Russell's, like, walking through... uh, like whatever the CIA or whatever bureau he's in CIA. CIA. Um, there's some of that like West wing sort of like track and walk kind of thing. But I think, yes, once they get on the plane, it's a very safe movie. I think on one hand, I think it's a smart movie. It's smart in the way that they, cause they let the effects speak for themselves yeah. and they, they don't try to add some sort of like weird dynamic to the effects through the camera. But at the same time, it's not a very clever film. I, you know, we were joking, but maybe that speaks to the fact that it was made by someone whose background is as an editor, not by someone with like a sweeping visual vision, but by someone who just wanted the movie to move quick. Right. And like, yes. And it, it's a very by the numbers sort of production. Totally. Like he stands the camera up, people say the lines they have to say, and they move on to the next thing. There's decent coverage on everything. Actually, I think I uh, cleared us for takeoff before we fastened our seatbelts. We should see what happens in this movie. Um, yes. So uh, it, it opens uh, with a, kind of a strange prologue, just like all the movies. That, oh, yeah. That they all watch. have these weird prologues that because like the plane thing is not the inciting incident. The inciting incident is always something else happened, like often like days or months before. In this movie, it's a failed piece of espionage against the Chechenian mafia to try and get nerve gas that the u.s government thinks they're going to use in terrorism uh let a mission led by steven seagal and his seal team which has bd wong and john leguizamo and and joe morton and some other people that we don't know uh they're clearly what what the prologue establishes that they're very good navy seals but that nerve gas is not there where it is going to be of course is with the islamic terrorists led by david Suchet. On the plane coming from Greece uh, back to Washington. I think the big mistake, and correct me if I'm wrong, Chance, the big mistake that this movie makes is mishandling the prologue. Because in my mind, the prologue is not them not finding the nerve gas. The prologue is David Suchet setting up what's-his-name getting kidnapped, and that'll ultimately be, like, the ruse of the actual plot. Well... Maybe I would disagree with you a little bit, though, because I think if they're what the prologue does establish in this sort of like backward, maybe kind of underlying way, I think if there is an emotional undertone to the heroics of this movie, it's that it's Steven Seagal's absence right. from the mission. Uh, because Steven Seagal, one of the great action heroes of the 90s, um, 
dies early in this movie. Right. He dies very early into this movie. In a heroic bit of self-sacrifice. And so there's this weird vacancy that you sort of see in how unsure Kurt Russell and John Leguizamo and B.D. Wong are. They're like trying to do uh, this mission against all odds without the man who we saw run out front of his SEAL team and just start like knifing people in the dark. When this plane has been, this plane's been captured by these terrorists, and yeah. then they use a stealth bomber to like link up to the plane, and then they crawl from this tunnel thing from the stealth bomber to the plane, and then they're like stuck in the bottom of the plane, but nobody knows they're on the plane, including the people on the ground, because the plane like doesn't the, the stealth bomber crashes, and they're not sure who go, who got on. And in this crash, Steven Seagal is killed, and they're stuck there. And then it becomes a movie that sort of questions the nature of like the order of command in this situation. Right. And there's a lot of tension between John Leguizamo and Kurt Russell, like whose idea is the best, the person who's military trained or the person who has like the most intel about the people like in play on the other side. That's kind of the leftover disagreement that he had with Seagal before Seagal was gone. But before we get to that, you sort of mentioned while we were watching this, and we watched all these movies together, the fact that like you thought Steven Seagal almost gave like a good performance in this. I almost, I think I had a moment where he and I actually think Kurt Russell is an underrated actor in this movie. Um, I, I think he's fine in this movie. Okay. Um, but I think that he is more willing to try stuff than people give him credit for. He's not Stallone in the eighties and nineties. He's making more interesting choices, even if they're funny. Well, it's um, the thing, like he's cast as someone who has no like real physical prowess. Yeah, none in this He's one. just a brain in this one, and he's forced to be physical, but you kind of know that he's Kurt Russell, and he could probably do it. Yeah, but he's like six foot two, 200 pounds, right. and I'm like beautiful looking. He's just wearing glasses. <laughs> right, he takes off his glasses, and then he's just like in that one scene, and he's just like kicking ass. Yeah. Um, I just had a moment where he and Seagal are acting out that disagreement that you're talking about between right. intelligence and brute force, and Seagal's like dismissiveness toward him is quite well played and it's an act it's an acting choice and it's just like oh well Steven Seagal is not like a robot. Right. He's actually making an acting choice here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think his failure is just that he didn't want to do that and he was an egotistical asshole as a as a like a worker in Hollywood. Right. Um but that was just sort of surprising. Yeah. So it's it, this movie has some interesting performances and then I think the most interesting performance to consider is David Suchet playing the bad guy. Yes indeed. Who is well, that's what. Can, can we marry Suchet to our body count? Because I think they're connected. Yes. This movie has a surprisingly low body count. Yeah, not that many people die. In part like, because I think, as we talked about this too, uh, there is some very like people yelling "Alu Akbar." Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, well, the movie also the movie does have a like a. It has a high body count, but not that many people die on the plane. Right. Because, like, 50 people die in that restaurant, they said. Yeah. So, like, there's an early sort of, again, sort of prologue scene where in this restaurant in London, because I guess it's Western and, like, London is an ally, or Britain is an ally of the U.S., this guy just, like, sets off a suicide bomb and kills a whole restaurant full of people. Yeah. So, it's relying very heavily on, uh, like... Muslim terrorists. But no Americans die, really, in this movie. Only a couple. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's pre-9-11, but yeah. it's, it's, it's playing on those fears. Oh, death. Um, but I think it also makes a choice that were we to see the Islamic extremists kill people on the plane, that would be way too scary. So mostly right. they don't. Yeah, mostly and, they don't. And they only kill people who, like, 
kind of suck. So given those limitations, what does Suchet do? Well, that's the thing. Like, Suchet, like, has the task of being both, like, how do you be scary without being violent at all? And so his task as an actor is to be both, like, scary as hell, but also non-violent. Like, how do you be threatening without being violent? And what he does is just be, like, exceedingly calm for Mm -hmm. most of it. And then just, like, you don't know what he's going to do. And he'll just, like, he's some great shots with Halle Berry where she, like, does a few things. Like, she destroys the passenger manifest. And she destroys the passenger manifest because she doesn't want David Suchet to see that there's an an air marshal on board. Right. And then he, like, figures out that she's destroyed it. And he goes, like, gets right up in her face. And he, he's just like, that was, like, a really unnecessary thing you just did. Like, don't do that again. And, like, doesn't do anything to her. Like, he's strangely merciful. So, yeah, I think one of the good things about this movie is the sort of slow realization that this is a suicide mission. And is the U.S. government going to shoot down this plane that's going to be used itself as a chemical weapon? Or... But I think you were making the fundamental error that this production team made when naming this movie. Because it does not, the drama of this movie does not hang in the titular executive decision. Well, no, you're right. But I, that's not the part that, of it that I love. It's not the right. ground story I love. It's that what that creates. It's like an extra element of what could go wrong for sure. the SEAL team. Like, are their own people going to screw them? Right. There, there's a good race against the clock in this movie. And by the way, this movie is so old that the, there are clocks attached to the top of a clipboard uh, that one of the SEAL team members has right. to see when it's coming in. So it's a race against the clipboard clock. Right. Oh, I love the clipboard clock. Um, yeah, but I think it's interesting talking about like one of the weird flaws of this movie is that like the title doesn't make any sense. You're very right. You know, so the movie's called Executive Decision, which refers to like the president deciding something. Yeah. But the president's not a character in this movie. Never appears. Never appears in this movie. And no one ever has to even have like a moment where they're like, shoot down the plane. No, 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 never mind. Like that moment doesn't exist. Right. So there is no executive decision. Ultimately, at the last second, they're saved by the Morse code that Kurt Russell and company send to them. And they never have to make the decision. Right. You know, it's, it's like calling the Air Force One like you know, whatever amendment they were going to sign to, like, make sure. But, like, she never signs it. Right. So it doesn't make any sense. You made a good point this morning that Executive Decision would have been a great name for Air Force One. Right. That would have been a great, like, to stay on the plane. Like, what is the decision? Like, well, the decision is, like, does he save the American people or does he save his family? So what, I mean, while we're at about that time, what do you think? I think this one's good, good. I think it might be two. I think it's a, it's weird to me because I think it's it's less ambitious in a lot of ways than Wolfgang. I think Kurt Russell is less ambitious in this movie than Harrison Ford. But I think almost by playing it safe that it it reaches its lower bar easier. It feels like I should be calling it bad good, but I think it's a soft good good. It's definitely like a soft good good. Yeah. I thought that it's it- not great. But it's so, it, it's like it's made by someone who knows how to put some like put a movie together. Yeah, and it hits all the like things. Like I never wanted any more of anything. Right. There's something about it where if you were like, "Hey, what's the uh, 
22nd best action movie from the 90s. And you were like, well, maybe executive decision. And someone was like, yeah, that's good, good in that way. Well, friend. Sir? These these are always so fun. It's great to look at you like while I'm trying to make a point and throw my hands up into the air. <laughs> um, man, you're sit you're podcasting from the couch you're sleeping on. I love it. I mean, I'm typically podcasting from the bed I sleep on, so <laughs> this is not much much difference. My life is very small. All right. Well, well, chance. I, I regret coming to the end of this, but uh, all the normal stuff. Listeners, thanks for being with us. Find all past episodes at berealguys.com. Real two E's like a film reel. Follow us on Twitter. We would love that. You can find us on facebook.com backslash berealguys. You can email us at berealguys at gmail.com. Podcast is on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you want it to be, except Spotify. It's there. Um, How do we get on Spotify? Not sure. I haven't looked into it. Okay. Yeah. Do you think people like really listen to podcasts on Spotify? No. You think I think Spotify missing, um, thinks they do. Nice. Yeah, just just keep listening, guys, because this is what we're going to keep doing, is finding excuses to watch three movies a week and then keep talking about them to keep our friendship alive. We love it so much. We're not giving up, so... <laughs> We're we not afraid. Executive decision. We're not afraid. It's your turn to be afraid, listeners. We went different ways with that one. It's fine. At least we kept it in the genre. <laughs> Dude, oh. thank you so much for letting me sleep on this couch. It's it's so comfortable. I feel womb like. That's what I love to watch a little TV and fall asleep on a couch. That's that's the top. Love you, my friend. I love you too. Don't get off my couch. <laughs>